Well, hello, and welcome to the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast. You know, once upon a time, someone on this show asked me if I could only drink wine from one region, what would it be? And my answer was the topic of conversation for today, Sonoma. It's a big place. There's a lot of wines. There's a lot to cover, and we're going to talk about as much as we possibly can in this very broad region that produces lots of different types of wines, which was my reason for answering in the first place. Lots of different styles of wines, lots of different varietals, lots of producers. And for me, variety is everything. So Sonoma is a super exciting region, even though I live right next door in the region of Napa. The other thing about Sonoma is that because it is so big, it's often a little bit hard when people ask me, where should I go? What should I do? What is Sonoma? What is the defining characteristic of it? And so to help me today is someone who breaks down wine really, really well for all of us, whether you are a beginner, an intermediate, a lover of wine, whatever your level is, she is the person who breaks down wine for the normal people. So please welcome to the show, Elizabeth Schneider of Wine for Normal People. Good to have you. Thanks for having me. You are a lover of Sonoma wine because, well, you must at least kind of be because the wine that we've got for the podcast wine club shipment today is actually one that I think that you may have brought to the table to Wine Access, which is the yeah. Nall Zinfandel. That's right. Yeah. I'm really good friends with the Nall family, but I generally try to befriend people who make really good wine. And I used to actually run an event for small producers um, in Sonoma primarily. And Nall was one of those producers. So we would do people who made a small number of cases who were family owned and not corporate. And um, the Nall family was always part of that. So one thing that's, I think, very, very difficult is like with all the changing trends to be able to stay true to however you've done something is really, really hard to do. Mm -hmm. So those producers that do that, I totally tip my hat to them. Nall is definitely one of them. Yeah. Well, it's delicious. It's a, it's a Zinfandel, which is actually the fourth most planted grape in Sonoma County, the first being Chardonnay, second being Cabernet Sauvignon, and then followed by Pinot and Zinfandel. But I'm curious that, you know, I'm sure you got a lot of DMs and messages from people, you know, about traveling to different regions. How do you explain Sonoma to someone that just has a general question about it? Well, I just did two podcasts. I did one on how to plan travel. So that is like the ultimate guide if anybody is interested in that. And actually, more recently did something about Sonoma. My advice to people is, is pick a valley and stick there because Sonoma is really more of, it's not really one place. It's a collection of places. So if you're going to travel there, you absolutely need to just pick one a day and stay in that particular area. Otherwise, you'll spend all your time driving and it really is not the best use of your time. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, there's, if you really want to get to know one of the regions in Sonoma, the best way to do it is to make sure that you are in that particular place and trying the similar wine so that you know what the feel is. Of course, it's not as easy as Europe where there are rules and regulations that are going to let us right. know how the wine should taste. But still, there's usually a feel for how things go. And Dry Creek, you know, like where Nall is from, Dry Creek is a Zinfandel place. You know, they do Zinfandel and Rhone, really. It's such a good piece of advice because I think the one thing that I hear a lot is, hey, I'm going to Napa and Sonoma. What should I do? And my, my first <laughs> instinct is like, don't do that. Like, just pick one and like hunker down. Because Sonoma is huge. Right. I mean, Sonoma is almost two and a half times the size of Napa. It's got 19 different ABAs. And if you look at it in a map, you'll see 
there's so much different topography to set the scene for people. It's north of San Francisco. And if you were to like basically draw a line from San Francisco north, Napa would be on the right hand side on the eastern side and Sonoma would be on the left on the western side. And so Sonoma borders Napa with this mountain range that kind of comes between and then it's got the Pacific Ocean on the other side. So you've got coastal influence, you've got mountain influence, and then you've got this huge region that spans north to south with all of these different topographies and terroirs in between. And so that is the reason that, number one, you should really just decide where you're going to be in Sonoma to begin with. And number two, that you can drink so many different styles. Do you? So you did a harvest in Dry Creek Valley, which is where Nall is. Yep. So do you have a sense of like what your favorite place is to be in Sonoma? I mean, I really do love Dry Creek, especially because it's so manageable. Mm-hmm. There's more family-owned wineries there than in most of the other parts of Sonoma because, unfortunately, like when Russian River Valley, you know, really got a lot very famous because of its Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, unfortunately, a lot of people took notice. Already the large corporations were there. They've already owned property there for, for many, many years, maybe even a century mm-hmm. or less, but many of the larger operations are headquartered in Sonoma. So you already had Russian River kind of being taken over and Dry Creek didn't wind up going that way because there's so many little properties and so much opportunity. That's what I like. You know, those are the wines that I normally gravitate towards. So if I have an opportunity to go and meet April and Doug and Andrew at Nall, I would rather do that than, you know, do some larger corporate tasting in Carneros, which although there are still some family run wineries in Carneros, it's a, it's a lot of, you know, champagne houses or sparkling wine houses. So it's a little bit less interesting to me than than going to these smaller places that also do wines that are different. Mm-hmm. You know, Rhone varietals are really awesome out of Sonoma, frankly. One thing to note, you know, as we talk about bigger versus smaller, there's a lot of different types of producers, right? You have your bigger commercial producers, which I think, you know, have a place and and there's some great experiences you can have with those. And then you have your smaller ones as well. But Interestingly, of Sonoma's 1,800 grape growers, 80% own fewer than 100 acres of vineyards. And of the 500 wineries, 70% produce fewer than 60 cases. So, you know, compared to some of these other regions in California and in the United States, Sonoma, even though it is so vast, actually has a ton of boutique producers that, uh, that you know, live on the smaller side and are doing their best. So when you are visiting there, you can, it's more likely that you're going to run into a boutique producer than a bigger one. And I love that you brought up Dry Creek Valley because it's around one of my favorite towns to stay and eat in, which is Healdsburg. So I'm sure you, yes, you spent many a, many a late night or early morning there for coffee or drinks. But Healdsburg is home to several Michelin-starred restaurants, notably three Michelin-starred Single Thread. And then you also have Barn Diva, a bunch of cocktail bars. I assume, are you a fan of Healdsburg and just like hanging on the square? Yes. And actually, the Healdsburg Hotel, which I have had the pleasure of staying in, has mm-hmm. I've actually purchased the sheets that they sell in their spa from Ooh. the beds because it's that amazing. I really love Healdsburg. Again, you know, I most of my friends who are in the wine industry live in in Sonoma. And so, yes, I've got lots of I spend lots of time in Healdsburg and I don't always go to the top end restaurants, but there's a lot of really great cheap eats in Sonoma in Healdsburg if you know where to go also. So there's there's just a variety. The other thing I love about Healdsburg is that you can go around the town mm-hmm. and taste there also, sure. which is really, really cool. It's a great way, especially if you have limited amounts of time. Like 
sometimes people are passing through. They're like, well, you know, I'm going to go. I'm going up to the Redwoods or I'm going up farther north. Healdsburg is such a perfect little town. It's gotten super fancy Mm -hmm. since um, I started my wine career, but it's still really awesome. And yeah, you will see if you go to, you know, what's that coffee shop, The Flying Goat? Mm you'll run into winemakers. You'll see all these winemakers there. They get their coffee there in the morning or, you know, anywhere. You you will see people around Big John's Market. You will be able to see these people who, if you know what their faces look like, these are the people that are making all this wine. So it's kind of cool. Healdsburg is a great option if you definitely want a little bit of everything, right? If you want sort of a higher end experience, if you wanted the boutique wineries. I also love like the very walkable square but there is another walkable square down in Sonoma, like further south in Sonoma, mm-hmm. in Sonoma Square, which is a little bit more of an old school region. You're again going to find tasting rooms there, restaurants, and then you're going to be closer to a different part of Sonoma. So I do recommend like if you're going to be there for just three or four days, like decide kind of between those two places, kind of where you want to be. There's a few others that will dot in there as well as far as like where you should be. But if you want to be in Sonoma Square, I really like it there. They've, that's where, like, there's a great farmer's market there. It's super cute. There's a great restaurant called Valley Bar and Bottle. There's also Palm Cider. And then you're going to be close to a few other wineries, notably um, if you want something closer to Carneros. But then also you're going to be closer to some of those Sonoma Valley wineries. So if you want a little bit of Cab and a little bit of Pinot and Chardonnay, that's kind of a good place to be because you can kind of get the best of all worlds. I assume you've also been to Sonoma Square a handful of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I spent a lot of time in Sonoma, actually. I Probably of all the places in California, I spend the most time there just because, again, we did this event, so we would go and scout wineries and go taste and things like that. And I also usually find that the personalities of the producers just work for for what I do. So it, mm-hmm. it always is nice to be able to have open conversations. Like, I feel like in Sonoma, you will be able to get the real story. For instance, you know, there's a lot of difficult things in wine. It's not all just pretty glory and all this kind of stuff. If you really want to have a very honest conversation about the economics of of wine and how difficult it is to sell wine and how the history of how they've evolved, Sonoma is really generally the better way to do it because Napa is all about glamour and showing people kind of the fancy side of things. And Sonoma is is still, even though it's turning a little bit the other way, you know, places like Paso Robles, Sonoma and Santa Barbara, you're going to get more winemakers saying, yeah, you know, it's been really hard because there's been distributor consolidation or whatever. If you really want to learn about what's going on in the wine industry, that's a, a great place to do it. So, yes, Sonoma Square is is another place to do that. There's it's a bit more fractured, I would say, mm-hmm. than Dry Creek. And Russian River, even the Russian River is very spread out. Dry Creek and Russian River have stronger consortia, I think. they The wine growers and winemakers know each other a little bit better. They're definitely more linked in. Sonoma is even more spread out because you have, I don't know, maybe I think about 10 or 12 of the Appalachians are in Sonoma. And so you've got the people that are in Green Valley. You have the people that are in Bennett, in Bennett Valley. You have people on Sonoma Mountain. So you have a lot of disparate people. Also, there's a lot of like garagists there. Right. So you do have in Santa Rosa the ability to have like smaller wineries that, you know, you could just start and buy grapes. So I think it's a little more fractured. It's a little harder to 
kind of like connect there with with the place because Dry Creek, all those people from Dry Creek all shop in Sonoma yeah. and the, the people in Russian River are like, you know, so you are, I'm sorry, in Healdsburg. So you'll see them. Whereas in Sonoma, it may be a little bit more spread out because they may be going to Santa Rosa, which is a very large town. Right. Not too far away from Sonoma. So just like there is a Napa, like the city of Napa, there's also like the city of Sonoma in Sonoma. So like when we say Sonoma, it can get really confusing because you have like Sonoma Coast, you have Sonoma Valley, you have Sonoma Mountain, you have Sonoma Square. Like there's all of these like Sonoma dash something else. <laughs> so what we're talking about is like Sonoma proper, which is like where Sonoma Square is. So we've got Dry Creek Valley, which is, you know, the sort of the main town around there is going to be Healdsburg. There's also Geyserville that's not too far from there. Geyserville is a super mm -hmm. cool, very, very small town. But it's got two very small. <laughs> uh, yes, this is like a like you drive and you blink and you miss it. But there's two really great restaurants yeah. there that if you do find yourself in Geyserville, I think is perhaps one of the more up and coming towns in Sonoma. You've got Diavola, which is amazing for pizza. And I think is a Michelin Bib Gourmand. And then you've got the newly reinstated Cyrus, which used to be around years ago before I even lived in Napa. Cyrus was around and was known as like being this incredible restaurant. It shut down and now it's just reopened. And I believe it's gotten its first star from Michelin. So oh, wow. there's two restaurants up there. Sonoma's like crushing it in the Michelin department. But then if you go all the way out to the coast, which I'm sure you've been and you know, if you go all the way out and you like hit Highway 1, you're going to be in West Sonoma Coast, which is I think the newest AVA of the 19 that exists. Yeah. And the West Sonoma Coast was really developed because the Son Sonoma Coast AVA was so big and it sort of lacked, you know, an identity. It was just this like this very big appellation that included way too many places and way too many producers. And so and it was it moved very far inland. And so when people said Sonoma Coast, it wasn't always like real Sonoma Coast because they weren't necessarily getting those coastal influences. And so this West Sonoma Coast AVA was created to to really be the true Sonoma Coast, you know, the places that are getting the Pacific influence. If you go out there, it's very, very literally cool and also very cool to see because you've got the Pacific Ocean, which is just right massive and just, you know, it's it like overtakes you. It's so big. But you've also got like the cities of Jenner and Bodega Bay. And if you go all the way north to like Fort Ross Seaview, there's a really cool spots there, really cool hotels. And you can have this very different experience. I will say prepare for the weather. It is cold there. Like it can get down yep. into the 60s and 70s. Have you been out that way? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I've, I've been all over. So <laughs> I also like the hike. So, you know, we've been hiking. I've been hiking mm. with my husband out on the coast over there. So that's kind of a nice like another thing that if people are interested in doing, that's really pretty. But yeah, it's cold out there for sure. The other thing I would warn people is that the roads are quite mm -hmm. dangerous. Like Highway 1 is not an easy road to drive. You really have to be careful and you should not be consuming alcohol while doing that because it is really, really kind of a scary place to drive. However, if you just go out and, and go for the day, they've got like, you know, Jenner has or is it Bodega Bay? One of them has like an oyster place. Yeah, Bodega Bay. Yeah, it's super fun. And there aren't a ton of wine wineries you can go visit. But just to get the feel of the place is really, really nice. I mean, there's a few out there, but it's and there probably will be more. It's just it's remote. I mean, it's it's really remote. Mm -hmm. Most people who make wine from either Sonoma Coast, Fort Ross Seaview, any of the other appellations that are out there, except Petaluma Gap, which is closer to Petaluma um, and also, you know, broke off from from uh, Sonoma Coast. Those areas, a lot of people source grapes from. So they'll buy grapes or they might farm there and sell grapes. But you don't have 
a ton of wineries there just because it's not very convenient, yeah. obviously, to go out there. And it's real relatively new in terms of the fact that people might want to go there. Right. So I think there's that too. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a situation where you're going to throw a stone in any direction, and hit a winery. There are a few. There's so many different experiences that you can have in Sonoma that, you know, not that we're comparing Napa and Sonoma or should, because I think they're two completely different and separate places. But if you were to compare the two, like the amount of experiences that you can have in Sonoma is just like kind of overwhelming. And I think we're titling this episode like how to road trip through Sonoma because you can road trip through Sonoma and have like all these different things. Just make sure that you have the time to do it. So if you want to start in the south closer to Sonoma Square, spend a couple of days there, then maybe move north and start to like examine the Russian River Valley. There's some really cool places to stay around there. There is you want like more like rustic experiences there. So you can do like uh, air camp is there where you stay in Airstreams. There's I think it's called Don's Ranch is very cool, which is a little more like glamby campy. And then like head out to uh, Highway 1, spend some time eating some oysters, drinking some great sparkling wine, which you're going to find from there. I mean, the thing with Sonoma, like West Sonoma Coast, true Sonoma Coast, and this is maybe a topic that we should dive into is just where you're going to find the different styles of wine. Yeah. So the further west you're going to get, the more acidity you're going to get in your wines. You know, these are the places that are truly more cool climate than warm climate, at least as it pertains to California. So what you're going to find on Western Sonoma Coast are these like, you know, sparkling wines, high acid Chardonnays, high acid Pinots, super lean, super mean, but like really cool grippy, fun wines that you maybe aren't going to find that are more sun-kissed as you enter parts of Russian River Valley into Dry Creek Valley, Knights Valley, you know, those more inland places, that's where you're going to find that. So if you're trying to figure out where you want to be, just think more west, high acid, leaner wines, more east, a little fuller, a little bigger, a little bit more of that sun-kissed style. Would you echo the same sentiment? I would, although there are some places that have elevation where it will True. make a difference in the wine. True. So that's going to, that, that will change a little bit. But yes, for the most part, that's absolutely true. I think the other thing to, to know is that Russian River Valley, for instance, in the last, I don't know, I guess it's been like 10 years that they started it, but they haven't really publicized it well, is that internally among themselves, they've done some work on separating the parts of Russian River Valley. So like, oh, yeah, with the neighborhoods. Yeah, there's five neighborhoods. So you have, you know, there's a very big difference between Middle Reach, which is definitely much more inland and is making Rhone varietals and Italian varietals. And then you have things that are closer to the coast that have marine influence. So it gets infinitely more complicated. The only thing that I would also add is like, you know, if you're Heading up from San Francisco, if you are going to do a road trip, just know that Sonoma is a lot farther away than Napa. Yeah. It's a lot farther a drive. So you got to make sure, like, if you don't have that much, let's say you're flying out into San Francisco and you have two days and you're like, okay, well, I really want to check out Sonoma. It's going to take you a lot longer to get there, which is why people usually just hit Carneros and maybe Napa you know, the town of Napa and then and then have to go. Yeah. Sonoma, it's going to take you instead of an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, it's going to take you two and a half hours to get into past Carneros and then into southern Sonoma. And a lot of the more prestigious producers are in Russian River, Dry Creek, Green Valley, things like that. So that's even, you know, it's farther north. So you just have to make sure that, you know, we're talking about Geyserville and yeah. we're talking about Healdsburg. That's very, very far north. I mean, Healdsburg is a two and a half hour drive 
from San Francisco. So just sort of to give you a sense as you're thinking about like, oh, I would like to do that. Um, the other piece of advice that I would give is unless you're sure that you're never, ever going to go back, leave some room to go back, you know, like do a valley, enjoy it. And then, you know, I think, again, if you stay in Hillsburg, you can do Russian River and you can do Dry Creek, which is really nice. You can even do a little bit of Alex, Alexander Valley. You know, that might be if you have three days, that would probably be the best place to stay. But if you have more time, then you you can explore the the southern areas as well again much more spread out much more diverse yeah. cells less cohesive yada yada we already said that that's so true and it's like it's confusing on a map too because i think when you look at the map you're like oh like you know i crossed the golden gate bridge and you know a few miles in like you're already in sonoma but that is not where you're going to find the wineries that's where you're going to find like sonoma raceway and like yeah there's a few that you're going to pass like they're fine but like the really good stuff to your point you got to move like further north and further inland for it. And that is a hike. Right. Just the other day, I actually went. So I live in St. Helena, which is the second furthest north mm-hmm. Appalachian in Napa Valley. And so I can be in Sonoma in like, you know, 20 minutes if I cross the mountain. If I go around, it's like 30 to 40. I had to go to Fort Ross Seaview the other day. It took me a full two and a half hours from St. Helena, the oh, nor- yeah. most northern part in Napa Valley to get to Fort Ross View. So the roads are not direct. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And they're slow and you could get stuck behind a tractor super easily. Don't I know. That's it. the other thing. I mean, people do understand, but if you're going to run, I mean, and then you won't have cell phone reception. That's the other thing. Dry Creek Valley has literally the worst cell phone reception in the entire world. So you need to make sure you pull up the maps ahead of time. I mean, these are all little things that I always like tell people when you're traveling. Just I'm leaving for Italy in, in a couple in of hours. In 20 seconds, right? you're leaving for and, Italy. <laughs> and leave it for Italy. And I am so old school. I print everything out mm. because you just never know where you're going to be, when you'll be there, and what will what will happen. Like the internet will go down. On, on wine trips in particular, it is important to rely not just on technology because if you don't have a sense of where you're going, you could wind up in the middle of Dry Creek behind a tractor, no cell phone reception. You're like trying to drive up a mountain, like trying to hold your cell phone up to, I mean, trust me, obviously I've been there, right? You know, you're not getting Wi-Fi anywhere. So wine regions are not built for technology. So just make sure as you're traveling also that you know that, you know where you're going. No, and the same is true for Uber. Do not rely on Uber. Uh, there is there are certain regions where you, like you won't find a single Uber. Like I think there's some towns where the mayor has been like, nope, no Uber. In fact, my sister just called me like 20 minutes before we started recording this podcast. And she's like, I'm going to Sonoma. What should I do? Should I rent a car and like rent a car? Definitely do not be in Sonoma yep. without a car if you want to go somewhere. If uh-uh. you're going to stay like if you're going to stay put in like Healdsburg or in Sonoma, like fine, like you're good to walk. But yeah, I mean, gosh, these are this is all such great advice and all things that I have. I feel like I should have learned myself by now because literally up in Fort Ross Seaview where I was the other day, got to the place, went to go leave, had no service. And I was like, well, I really hope that I have a good memory as to whether I go left or right here, because if I go right, I am definitely going to be in Oregon in like two seconds. Make sure you have some record of it so that you know where. Yeah. I mean, even if you just take a picture of the map yeah. on your phone and that's how you want to do it. But don't. Yeah. Or just like screenshot it. Yeah. Don't wind up without having files or actual pieces of paper that are going to allow you to to make good decisions yeah exactly and get home exactly yeah we should drink some wine so we can get you lubricated for your trip 
so I have the <laughs> I have the Nalls Infidel, which I will just mention okay. because I'm sure for those of you that have it that are part of the podcast wine club, the Zolf, the the Zolf, the Zolf, the Nalls Infidel. It should be called the Zolf, the Zolf Vanilla <laughs> or something. That actually has a little bit of Petite Syrah and Carignan in it, which I really love. There's a few other producers that do this that add a little Petite Syrah and Carignan, which makes it sort of an old school Zinfandel blend. Like this is a, a classic style of wine. So one of the other things about Nall is if you look at the alcohol levels, they never their alcohols are never higher than 14 percent. Mm-hmm. So they will always make sure this is 13.9, which is pretty high for them. They usually stick around 13.5. Mm. That's unheard of for Zinfandel. That's really a big indication that you're drinking an older school Zinfandel because the Zinfandel levels the idea of hang time and getting really high sugars to ferment to high alcohols is very nouveau. It's kind of started with Turley and some of those other shops. But Nall has been making wine for, Doug has been making wine for over 45 years. And so this style is something that only a few people are still holding. Ridge is another one Mm -hmm. that does this. These grapes that you're talking about, the Carignan and Petite Syrah, are blended in to some of their older vines. So they, it's more of a a field field blend. blend. That's how they do it. Anyone who knows me and knows my style of drinking, which if you're part of the podcast wine club, you have a pretty good idea now. I hate Zinfandel. I am not a fan of Zinfandel. It is, I think, on of the like list of grapes that I don't drink, it's probably number one. So the fact that one, it, this was included in this shipment, and two, that I'm actually drinking in the podcast, like should speak volumes. This is definitely, if I'm drinking a Zinfandel, this is the style that I want to be drinking. And there's nothing wrong with the other styles. If you love that big, juicy, fruity, you know, over-the-top style of Zinfandel, you will find that in Sonoma. But just know that you'll also probably find this style as well, especially from some of these smaller producers. This is lean. It's bright. I mean, it's still got body and volume, right? Like, it's still, like, it's coating the mouth. Yeah. It's doing all the things. Like, it feels very Californian. But there's a restraint to it. And I, what I love is that this carrying on, and the petite syrah is adding like a little bit of this like umami undertone because the other thing with Zinfandel is it's so fruity that sometimes I'm like, oh, like this really just feels like I'm drinking a yogurt or something. Like it's just a lot. They also pick earlier than a lot of other uh, Zinfandel producers, again, to stick on the lower sugar side of things. So yeah. that's part of it as well. I think once you get past a certain level with Zinfandel, you lose acidity and they are always constantly trying to figure out how do you make sure that you're maintaining the acidity in in these grapes that they've been farming for so long. I mean, if you these grapes are from Dry Creek, but most of them come from Henderlong Ranch, which is their particular plot. And that's been in their family for hundreds of years, actually. Mm. So again, knowledge is, is a really unique property. I think if you like my tip on Zen is that if you do like this Nall style, and this is just their base here, by the way. They make a lot of other wines that are amazing, but that have even more layers of flavor. But if you like them, what the thing you need to look for are the other producers that have been around about as long as Doug. So Doug has been making wine in Sonoma for, again, 40 years. You see Paul Draper at Ridge doing that, Fred Peterson at Peterson. So there's a few that you can look at and say, okay, well, this is kind of this cadre of people they never changed the style even when Zinfandel was changing and so there's probably it there's not that many of them I would say but when you find one you know they all know each other so if you do happen to go to Nall definitely ask them where else they should go I'm I'm sort of forgetting now besides Fred and you know Ridge 
who else makes these kinds of styles. But there are a couple of them that are really, really great. Yeah. Over in Napa, there's a producer called Legere Meredith that's known for making a they're not they're not blending it. It's 100 percent Zinfandel, but they're known for a leaner style. Sky is Zinfandel on Mount Beter, also a leaner style. And then, if you know, believe it or not, Zinfandel from yesteryear is actually pretty ageable. When I worked at Press, we used to have like a really cool collection of old Ravenswood from back when Joel Peterson was making it from like the late 80s, early 90s. And those are stellar bottles of wine. You know, as long as they've been stored properly, those are really, really cool bottles that have aged and they've aged into like more of a, a really light style of Pinot Noir. So, I mean, it's not going to drink like a, you know, full bodied in now, but, you know, definitely I think even a style like this, like you can age this wine a little bit. You can go 10 to 15 oh, years yeah. and it's going to dig more into those, you know, even more into those umami sort of savory things. So if you want to yeah. have a, a you really cool experience with Zinvenal, I, I would definitely recommend buying a couple more of these, laying them down in a temperature-ish controlled setting and then, you know, revisiting those <laughs> Under later. your bed. Yeah. Who else is Chateau Montalena also still makes a Zinfandel because Zinfandel used to be the grape of of Napa, yeah. which a lot of people yeah. don't know. Robert Bialy will tell you, you know, like their their Zinfandels have gotten a little big, but they they are only do pretty much do Zinfandel, and that's they are really a big advocate for that older school style. But all of the I think Trefethen still makes. I mean, all of the older school mm-hmm. producers in Napa will still do a Zinfandel for that very reason that. That's a heritage and legacy grape. Exactly. Lager Meredith, I mean, that's Carol Meredith who did all of the DNA work yep. on all of the grapes for UC Davis. I mean, she, so her style, I've never met her, but, you know, she she really has a lot of really great information about the origin of grapes, how they, how she feels they should taste and things like that. So that's kind of an, an interesting place to go if you're interested in history, of course. Carol's super cool. She she walks the walk. She talks the talk. She also makes uh, Niçoise olives, according to like the official DOCD. Oh. Yeah, she's very cool. Um, and in fact, she just she was the one who very nobly, I think, sold her vineyard to Aaron Pot, who had been sort of stewarding it with her for like no money. Like I, it changed hands for nothing. Oh, wow. Which was really cool because she just wanted the vineyard to continue. So there are still, you know, I think the people that are producing Zinfandels in this way, you know, really want this more old style, style, legacy style of winemaking to continue in Sonoma and in Napa as well. The other wine that we have, and I don't, are you familiar with the Vivier is, or is this a new one for you? You know, I don't know this wine. Oh, good. Yay. I get to introduce you to one. Yes. I'm excited. To, I'm excited to talk about yeah. it. This is not, this is not one I, I know a whole lot about. Yeah. So. so I was actually introduced to Vivier literally when I first moved to Napa eight years ago. This is a producer, uh, Stefan Vivier. He's French, as you might imagine, and really, really, really cool guy. Knows his wine inside and out. In fact, he made wine at Stony Hill for a minute, but his biggest claim to fame is that he's the head winemaker at High Devlane or HDV for short. So this is the project that's a collaboration, for those of you who don't know, the collaboration between Larry Hyde of Hyde Vineyard in Carneros and another famous guy, Aubert de Vilaine of Domaine Romani Conti or DRC for short. So mm. this was their collaboration, and Stéphane Vivier has been the winemaker. And so this is his personal project. And interestingly, also, the Buy the Glass Pour at Three Michelin Starred Single Thread in Healdsburg. Like that tie-in? It has a lot of that Sonoma Coast fruit character. Yeah. It's, it's bold, even though it's from, I don't know what part of Sonoma Coast it's from. Yeah. Again, this is the thing about, you were saying about the Sonoma Coast, that it's unclear about where exactly it might be from. So we don't know, but it tastes like it might be from a little bit above the cloud line. So that's the other thing about Sonoma Coast that's a little confusing is that 
a lot of that. That's why they made the true Sonoma Coast, Appalachian West Sonoma Coast, because you did have some Appalachians that were inland. It was a, a very large. It still is too large Appalachian. And so you had the stuff that was inland and warm. And then you had things that were above the cloud line that never saw any fog. So you actually were only getting sun beating down on the grapes. It was more like places inside of the Russian River where right. Sonoma Coast had established its reputation sort of through Greg LaFollette and other people, who, you know, flowers and things like that, where, you know, the, these wines were very sharp. They had, in a good way, they had lots of acidity. They were more, maybe had less fruit and some other different flavors. And then there were some other things that were just giant fruit bombs. So the West Sonoma Coast is... Still some fruit, but a little bit less so, probably more that traditional style. And then you have the fruitier things that are above the cloud line. I would I would guess this is a little fruitier, though, I, to me at least. It's a little fruitier, but it's it's got some kind of stealthy acidity on it. So this is not part of the wine clubs, but you can you can find this on my Nexus. But what I love about this, so this is actually mostly coming from the Petaluma Gap AVA, which, you know, gets that coastal mm-hmm. influence. It has that the winds kind of come in, cool everything down. And if you feel like the the acidity is really interesting on this one, and I'm not one to like geek out this way, but the acidity, you don't really feel it up here, like like by your ears. You kind of feel it down lower. And it's got, to me, this really interesting balance of like, yes, it's very sun-kissed. It's got a lot of like California fruit. But there's also this sort of like spiciness to it on top. And then this like stealthy acidity that kind of layers in the bottom. So for me, it's like a very, very complete wine in that way. I don't know. I just I really like this wine and I find it to be really alluring, even in a, at a very young age of 2021. So it's, it's still a baby. Yeah, I think it needs food for sure, uh-huh. because there is some good acidity. There's also some tannin in this wine. It's a, a bit more tannic than some other a Burgundian style Pinot, for instance. It has some tannin to it. Yeah, so definitely. And a little bit of dark fruit as opposed to the red fruit, I think. So it's a very clear example of a California wine made by a French person, I guess. Yeah. And I think some of that tannin, you know, we did a whole episode on on whole cluster. There is a little whole cluster in here. Okay. So I think, you know, you're getting a little bit of a like stemminess, that spiciness, which again, you know, lends itself to being, to wanting to be paired with food. So if you're feeling fancy, grab some duck. If you're feeling less fancy, grab some like lunch meat out of the drawer. Either will work. <laughs> cheese. cheese, yeah, cheese is cheese is the go-to. Yeah. always Comte in my in my world. All my all my people like we we did an episode on Comte with uh, the Comte people, and people are so obsessed with Comte cheese now that like I love Comte. It's an amazing cheese. If you've not had it, you should try it. And they even sell it at Trader Joe's. They do, they do, and like all different ages of it, and um. Yeah, like in the cheese world, it's one of the few that actually works really well with red wine. And if you go to Bordeaux, you'll just like every meal will be started and finished with Rhone 2. Oh, Rhone 2. Yeah, some version of Comte will be on the table. So Comte is made in the Jura region. So obviously it pairs the best with that. But right within Rhone, every single meal has Comte because it's so close, you know, and Burgundy also has a lot of Comte. So yeah, yeah. everybody loves it. Though it's, it's France's national cheese. They actually, I think they sell more Comte in France than any other cheese. I think it's the most popular cheese in France. Well, that's saying something. So yes, you can find lots of different styles, but it's it's really nutty and delicious. And it does pair with white, red. It could pair with blue wine. It could pair with anything. It pairs with nothing. Although I will say, I feel like I would be remiss to end this podcast without noting that Sonoma is actually one of the best producers of cheese in the entire country. So if you make your way out to Petaluma, which is kind of where this is from, 
You'll see all the cows are over in there. There's some great, there's a whole, there's like a cheese trail. Yes. You'll find all the dairy houses. You've got clovers, strauss. Uh, so if you're a cheese head, you can go nuts in Sonoma and have a lot of fun. And in fact, a lot of the producers use the local cheeses. You know, I, I think there is an element of what grows together goes together there for sure, even though some of the styles are more emulating other styles in European regions. But, you know, definitely don't sleep on the cheese because it's excellent from this part as well. It's true. And some of the, you know, as they've sort of stepped up the tastings, I mean, they can be really expensive. Actually, on um, my Patreon page, we just did a whole thing about tasting room, tasting room fees. Mm. That is one thing we probably should talk about if we're going to be talking about travel yes. in Sonoma. And and then we just did we did a follow up this week on tipping also, which is also very Ooh. controversial. And it was about a 50-50 split between people thought you should tip and people thought you I shouldn't tip. It. So again, American tipping culture has gone a little nuts. So who knows? But, you know, for exceptional service, I think most people agree you should probably tip in the tasting room. So there's there's something that people some insight that I've gotten from my listeners. And then the second thing is just the expense of tasting mm -hmm. and the time allotted and things like that. So if you're going to a winery, you can just belly up to the bar, right? Like mm -hmm. I mean, most places, though, these days you probably have to make an appointment. If you want to go to a smaller place. If you want to go to Nall, you have to make an appointment because April Nall is the one doing the tasting. Right. And she has to not be picking her kids up from school, testing pH levels on the wine, working with Andrew on like how to receive the bottling. I mean, these these are true family operations. Right. So if you're going to go to a smaller place, you absolutely have to call ahead. And usually you're going to get the person who is making the wine to yeah. do it. Or a lot of times you are. But. It is going to cost money and it's going to cost much more than it used to. Right. Some of that is just expenses have gone up. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, you know, you are going for an experience. So you're going basically you need to think of it like you're going to a wine bar multiple times. Right. So you do ex need to pay. Now, you live in Napa where the prices have gone. Average price of a tasting is $81. <laughs> Right. So in Sonoma, it's a little bit lower. Right. But you still are going to expect to pay around thirty five. Yeah. Thirty five dollars. Now, sometimes they'll waive it with the price of, you know, if you buy mm -hmm. a bottle, but or two or three, sometimes they won't. And I think the other thing is you can sometimes get these cheese tastings and things like that. So if you're on a mission and you want to do three wineries a day, which is really the maximum I would ever recommend. Correct. Yes. Then you might want to spend one of those taste things with food and then right. they might have the local local cheeses and things like that local meats and cheeses so we used to do at the event this you know small winery event that we we did we used to have it in healdsburg in uh, longboard and we would have local um, meat and cheese producers there also to feed our our attendees and it was so cool just as people loved it they sold so they i think they sold as much food as as the winemaker sold wine oh, I believe you know it. people were able to purchase wine just because it was so unique and delicious. I mean, the sauces and the combinations and the fresh fruit and, you know, jams and things like that. It's really and and meat sausages like there's so many people with Italian heritage in Sonoma also mm -hmm. and they make really fantastic foods. So, yeah, I agree. Definitely do not skimp on on the food and you can even go. You know, before you set out for the day, if you are traveling, you can even go to one of the local places and get a whole bunch of, you know, cheese for the day and a baguette. Mm -hmm. and you can go French, you know, go French style. Or girl dinner, as they're calling it on TikTok now. 
I love this booth conversation. And I'll I'll just pause because I if you're listening to this and you want some great food recommendations, I'm about to fire off a bunch of them. So get a pen and paper ready to go. Elizabeth, if you want to jump in here and add your own. So I'm going to start off with one that everyone's going to absolutely hate me for if they're already lovers of this place. It's called Ernie's Tin Bar. They don't serve food. They only serve snacks and beer and cider. But it's a must stop. It's on the corner of Lakeville Highway and 121. That's all I'm going to say. If you're in for a slightly more rustic, laid back experience that does not have any wine involved, this is where you want to be. You're going to park under the eucalyptus trees. They only have porta potties. There's no cell phones allowed. Don't dress up. Wow. Yeah. I already mentioned Diavola for pizza, one of my favorites. Uh, we're also going to be going to Sebastopol to Kom Loy and Ramen Gaijin. These are in the Barlow or just outside of the Barlow district. The Barlow is a really cool area, sort of, um, you know, storage containers, turn tasting rooms, breweries, coffee shops, makers, lots of things there. But Kom Loy and Ramen Gaijin, these are must visits. You will find me there on any given Sunday or any other day that ends in Y. Love both of those places. If you love great, truly authentic Mexican food. You have to go to El Molino Central. One of my great hacks in life is I went there. They've got everything. Tamales, pozole, tacos, everything, right? But they also make their own tortillas there. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to get the tortillas to go because they sell them in packs. And then any leftovers that you have throughout the course of the week, you're going to put them in those tortillas. I did that for Thanksgiving one year and it was chef's kiss. I've also already mentioned Valley Bar and Bottle in Sonoma Square, as well as Palm Cider. So you're going to go to both of those. And then there's one other restaurant that I've been to recently that I really, really loved, which is called Animo. And that's just off of the square. It is next to a fast food chain. I believe it's a Burger King, could be McDonald's. But then it's also wedged between an auto shop. This is a fancy place. This is not going to be inexpensive, but it is wedged between two less fancy places. And you're going to love it. It's going to be great. They do, in fact, have duck, but they have other things as well. Anything you'd like to add? Dry Creek, Dry Creek. Yes. What is it called? The Dry Creek Merchant. Grocer. Or, yeah, dry yeah. Creek General Store. Yes. Yeah. They are a lifesaver if you are in Dry Creek. Their food is delicious. It's super cute. And um, if you are in Dry Creek and you haven't planned for lunch and you don't want to go to Healdsburg, it is a lifesaver. Delicious food. Very local. And it's a nice little stopping off point. Mm, love that expensive though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, plan to spend a little bit more in Healdsburg for sure. The other place that I'll leave you with, since we always love to end on a sweet note, is if you're in Healdsburg on the square, noble folk for ice cream and pie. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. Delicious. You're welcome. All right. Elizabeth, thank you so much. I know you got to go pack and scan passports and print maps and do all the things before your trip to Italy. So I can't thank you enough for being here. People can find you where? Wineforormalpeople.com and you can download my podcast anywhere that you get your podcasts. And there's also the Wine for Normal People book if you are a book reader. Yes, we love book readers. It's a good one to read on a plane, too. you got a long trip. There you go. Going to a wine region like Mendoza or Italy. Yeah, lots of information about Sonoma, too. Yeah, lots of great resources over there. You've got a Patreon that people can check out and support as well. If you want to support us, you can do so by liking, subscribing, and or reviewing this podcast, as well as joining the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast Wine Club. It's two shipments every other month. We have a good time. Elizabeth has a podcast, or just a wine club shipment as well, all of which you can find on wineaccess.com. So, all right, you got a jet. I'll see you soon, hopefully in person. Maybe we'll meet in a wine region. Who knows? That would be very fun. Take care. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.